praise God. Oh, God's presence is uh, is so, so sweet here today. Man, do y'all feel it? I mean, he's always here, but sometimes it's just, he lets us feel it in a, in a special way. Um, quick introduction, because I don't know like more than half the people here now. Uh, <laughs> my name is Johnny. I am one of the leaders here at Zion. I spend my time in our Staten Island church plant. I'm helping lead over there, and so I'm not here too often anymore. I see a lot of new faces. To y'all, I'm probably the new face, um, but I'm really happy to be here. It's good to see you all. I'm really excited for what God is doing here in this church. Today, like Justin said, we're going to continue our series on, uh, on idols, and I want to open with, with a, a story from, <clears throat> from the scriptures, from the Bible. The Gospels tell us a story of a man uh, that they refer to as the rich young ruler. Anybody familiar with this story? There's not much that we know about this man, but we know that he was rich, we know that he was young, and we know that he was a, a ruler, right? That's, that's, that's most of what we know about him. Uh, but he was a follower of God. He was, he was a devoutly religious man. And so he hears about Jesus, about this great teacher who's doing great miracles. And he's excited that Jesus is passing through his vicinity. He wants the chance to talk to him and ask Jesus some questions. So as Jesus is passing through, the rich young ruler runs to meet him. And he says, good teacher, rabbi, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus then proceeds to have a conversation with him. And in the conversation, he says, well, you know all that God commanded. Do not steal, do not murder, do not lie. Do all the things that God commanded you. And the rich young ruler now is, is, is full of joy and he's swelling with pride. And he tells Jesus, he says, I've been doing all these things since I was a youth. Since I was a kid, my entire life has been dedicated and devoted to following God, following God's laws, to living a life of righteousness. He's overwhelmed with joy right now because he checked all the boxes. And scripture says that Jesus looked at him and loving him said, oh, actually, there's one thing you lack. Sell all that you have. Give it away to the poor and come follow me. Now think about this. This man's entire life was devoted to following God. This was the opportunity of a lifetime for him. This is what he'd been waiting his whole life for. Now he stands face to face with God incarnate, though he doesn't know that part, but he stands face to face and is getting a personal invitation to come and follow Jesus. And in one of the most heartbreaking lines of scripture, it says that the rich young ruler was disheartened and he turned away and walked away from Jesus because he had a great many possessions. Today, we're gonna to be talking about the idol of comfort. Now, comfort is interesting because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But a good working definition for the sake of this sermon is a life of pleasure is a lack of stress, a lack of trouble, a life of pleasure, a life of comfort. That's what we're talking about today. 
Now, comfort is our natural inclination, right? Nobody here likes to be uncomfortable. Nobody here likes to, be, to feel discomfort, right? Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait for my boss to send me that email that's going to stress me out and ruin the rest of my day. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I can't wait to see the mess my kids made when they were pouring their cereal and didn't clean up and didn't put the milk back in the fridge and nothing. Right? Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. Comfort is our natural disposition. It's the thing we go after without thinking about it. We don't have to set ourselves to go after comfort. It's naturally what we want. And now more than ever, we're bombarded constantly with visions of a life full of pleasure. Right? You see it in ads, every car ad, every sneaker ad, every store ad is selling you a life of pleasure. We have insight now into celebrities' lives like we've never had before and the immense pleasures and the immense comfort that they live with. I mean, shoot, on Instagram, even our broke friends on vacation all the time. We have this vision of comfort, this life of comfort constantly before us. And what's happened is many of us consciously or unconsciously have made achieving this life of pleasure, achieving this life of comfort, the number one goal of our lives. Everything we do is aimed at achieving more comfort, more pleasure, more good things, and putting away things that are discomfort, uncomfortable, things we don't enjoy. So what's wrong with comfort? Well, nothing in itself. Like many idols of the heart, comfort, when in its right place, is a beautiful thing. It's a gift that God gives us. It's a thing that God blesses us with. It's a thing meant for us to enjoy. But when it's not in its proper place, when it takes the throne of our hearts, when it becomes the most important thing in our lives, it's a destructive force. And so here's the point. I'm not going to bury the lead. I'm going to give you the whole point of the sermon in the first three minutes. We cannot pursue both Jesus and comfort. Many of us try to balance this. We try to have both of these things at all times. But eventually, like the rich young ruler, there's going to come a point in time where these things are going to come to a head and we're going to have to decide who reigns supreme in our hearts. What is the most important thing in our hearts? And so before we go on, I want to do a little thought exercise. Help us understand what the scriptures are teaching us today. Let's take a, a moment and consider your own life your own goals, the things that you're trying to attain, the things that you want to do, the type of, uh, of pleasures you have or you want to have that you're working towards. Think of one, two, maybe three things. They don't have to be good or bad. I'm not asking you to make a judgment call on them. I'm just asking you to think of them, keep them front of mind. For me, it's a house. Hands down, if I could, if I could have any one thing right now that I don't have, amen, John, come on, somebody. It would be a house. I got three kids. We a family of five living in a three-bedroom house with one bathroom and is getting old. I got snaked in the bathroom line twice this morning. And then as soon as I got in there, it was a knock on the door and somebody else had to use the bathroom. I'm not trying to live this life no more. I want a little porch, one and a half bath. I'm not asking for a lot. It's a little bit more space. And so think about what that is for you. 
If you're having trouble thinking about it, maybe open your Amazon wish list. You might have some clues there, some keys in there. And just keep that front of mind. We're going to revisit this at the end of the sermon, but just keep it there as we talk through the scriptures today. And so what we're going to do first is we're going to deconstruct some common thoughts around comfort and the gospel, around pleasure and the gospel. We're going to look at what Jesus actually promises us uh, and consequentially look at what Jesus doesn't promise us. Then we're going to look at the example of the life that Jesus led, the life that Jesus lived. And then lastly, we're going to uh, 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 close everything up by affirming the, prom the, the, the comfort that he does promise us. We're going to affirm what he actually does promise us and why it's better. And so before we get into the scriptures uh, that you have on your sheet, we're going to be bouncing through a few different scriptures today, but Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 is going to anchor us. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here today. We thank you for the truth and the goodness of your word by which we know who you are, know what you're calling us to, know how you're leading us. God, let our hearts be fertile soil today. Let not the, the fires of persecution burn this word out or the comforts of this world choke it out. Let this word live in our hearts, be planted and bear fruit as you see in your wisdom, God. Amen. So let's open to Hebrews 12, verses 1 through 3, and let's read that. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So the first thing that we need to understand here, if we're going to understand the role of comfort, is that Jesus did not promise us a comfortable life. I know that might be hard to hear, that might feel a little jarring, but let's talk about it. You see, what made the meeting with the rich young ruler so confusing, so perplexing, so shocking to everybody who witnessed it, was that at that time, uh, 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 wealth and status these were signs of a, of a life lived in honor of God. These were signs that God was blessing you for living a righteous life. And so the people around the rich young ruler and the rich young ruler himself would have looked and said, look at all that God's given me. I must be living a life that's pleasing to him. I must be following the law well. My life must be directed in a way that God is happy with because look at how he's blessed me. And that's not far from how we look at the gospel in America today. You see, your favorite TV preacher may have led you to believe that walking with God means easy and comfortable living, a life full of blessings and free of hardship. But let's take a moment and look at how God, look at how the writer of Hebrews describes our faith. The writer of Hebrews says it's a race that needs endurance 
to finish. It's not a leisurely springtime walk through Prospect Park. It's not a cool summer drive with the windows down, but a race that needs to be finished. Let's think about this for a second. Are there any runners in the room today? One. Cool. That serves the point beautifully. Running is not a comfortable sport. Running is a lot of things, but comfortable is not one of the descriptors you can use. Running is one of the hobbies that I picked up during the pandemic. It was one of my pandemic hobbies. It didn't last very long. I figured out that buying bigger clothes was much easier. <laughs> but it did last longer than my sourdough hobby. That was a couple weeks, and I had to tap out. <laughs> but running is not comfortable. <laughs> My daughter is beelining to me. Hi, baby. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> running is not comfortable. And since there's not a lot of runners in the room, let's use an example that's probably a little more universal to us. Think about the last time you had to run for a bus or a train or for my Staten Island people in the room, run for the ferry. There's nothing more devastating than missing that ferry by one minute because you got to wait a whole nother 29 minutes for the next one to come. <laughs> but if that bus or boat or ferry is more than a half block away, if you got to run more than a half block to catch that thing, you're probably not going to make it. Keep it a buck. And if you do make it, you're going to be at the front. <gasps> Lungs on fire. Legs feel like jello. Hands shaking. You can't get your Metro card out right. You got to swipe it six times because you can't get the rhythm right because your body's in shock from what you just put it through. Running is anything but comfortable. I'm not saying it's not beneficial. I'm just saying it's not comfortable. It pushes your organs to the limit. It pushes you to the edge of what you're capable of so that you can build strength. It breaks you down while it builds you up. Running is anything but comfortable, but that's the thing that the writer of Hebrews thought was the most fitting analogy for our faith. They could have chose any analogy, chose anything, said it was like running, a thing that all but one person in this room choose to do. So the first thing we need to understand is that while God can and does bless us with comfortable things, praise God, comfort is not the marker of a Christian life. In fact, Scripture goes through great lengths to convince us of the opposite. Let's read a few of those right now. Endure trials for a little while. Blessed are the poor. Blessed are you when they persecute you. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And this one from Jesus himself. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. How in the world we read the scriptures 
and come to the conclusion that God's main concern for us is that we live a comfortable life full of happiness and full of unlimited pleasure. But if you believe that, that, that that's God's main concern from you, then that's what you're going to lean into. It's what you're going to fix your eyes on. You're going you're gonna to press in towards comfortable situations, and you're going to shun anything that's uncomfortable, anything that doesn't make you feel good, anything that brings any type of pain, any type of confusion, any type of discomfort, when these might be the very situations that God is calling you to walk into. Pursuing a comfortable life as number one priority will inevitably lead to conflict with following Jesus. And so what should our priority be? How should we live our lives? Well, the writer of Hebrews gives us a key. He says, look to Jesus. So let's do that right now. We don't have to look any further than the author and perfecter of our faith to know the life that he called us to live. You see, Jesus shows us the most radical version of this. He left the comforts of heaven, an eternity of pleasure and goodness, where he was completely fulfilled, had everything he needed, lacked nothing to come to the earth. Scripture says, though he was in the form of God, Jesus did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. See, if Jesus would have come to earth as a rich man, as a man with unlimited wealth and power and influence and adoration, that would have paled in comparison to what he left in heaven. The best life on earth would have been would have been. A, a, a garbage. It would have been nothing in comparison to what he left in heaven. But he didn't even come as a rich man. He came poor. He came lowly. He came as a servant. He wasn't even offered the dignity of a hotel room to be born in. He was born in a manger around animals. I don't know if we think about that often enough. None of us would settle for that for our children. I would not have allowed my wife to go into labor in a stable around animals. Yet that's how the, save, the creator of the universe chose to come to the earth. He wasn't pursuing comfort. He lived a life of pursuing God over his comfort. And this was ultimately exemplified in the cross. We get a, we get a, a really good glimpse into this in the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus is, is about to be betrayed, he's about to go to the cross and he's full of stress and he's, he's taken to his limits, to his physical limits. And he asks God, if there's any other way to do this, please let this cup pass for me. But he finishes by saying, not my will, but your will be done. His life was aimed at following God, not pursuing his own comforts. And he, he suffered shame. He was beaten beyond the point of recognition. Scripture says when you looked at him, you couldn't even tell who he was anymore. He was humiliated. He was stripped naked and hung on a cross for everybody to see in front of his mother. 
Did you know that Jesus said he could have called down legions of angels at any time? And they would have removed him from the situation. And they would have saved him. And they would have pulled him out of it. He didn't do this because he had to. He did this because he wanted to. He did this because he chose to, because he made an active decision to allow whatever discomfort, whatever displeasures come, let them come. I'm going to follow God at all costs. And this is why the writer of Hebrews tells us to look to Jesus as we run this race, because he did it. He laid out the most perfect example of it. And that's what's beautiful about the faith that we have is that we have a high priest who knows intimately the suffering that we go through. He knows intimately our weakness. He knows intimately our struggles and our troubles. He's not a God that's far away. He's not aloof. He's not disconnected from humankind, but he came and he experienced everything we experience. He's the one we can look to for the perfect example of how we're to conduct ourselves while on earth. Jesus teaches us how to prioritize our lives on earth, and comfort clearly was not at the top of his list. So what then? Does God condemn us to live poor, miserable lives on earth, void of any comfort and any joy and any pleasure? Does God want us to be sad and downtrodden all the time? No. But you see, the promise Jesus gives is not that we'll have an easy life. It's much better. It's Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where are you fixing your eyes? See, Psalm 23 sums it all up really well. Psalm 23 is one of my favorite chapters in all of, the, all of Scripture. It's one that I go to the most, one that I recite the most when I'm in a tough situation, when I'm having a hard time. This is the, this is the psalm that I go to. I can't tell you how many times I've read and recited this psalm in the past two years. It starts like this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Other versions say, I have everything I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his namesake. What a beautiful picture of the comfort we can find in Jesus. What a beautiful picture of what it looks like to follow the good shepherd. But hold on. The next verse is the kicker for me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Hold on. So I have comfort in the valley of the shadow of death? I see comfort laying in the, in the green valleys by the still waters, but I also have comfort following Jesus through the valley of the shadow of death? What does that mean? 
Beloved, that means that comfort doesn't come from anything on this earth, from any situation, from any circumstance. True comfort comes from following the good shepherd. And what a beautiful promise that is. Doesn't it make sense? I know in my life, every time I've pursued something that I thought was going to fix my problem, that I thought this is the thing that I need to make everything better, every time I get a hold of it, it's like it immediately loses the power I thought it was going to have. And I got to set my eyes on the next thing now. And then I get that, and I got to set my eyes on the next thing now. And it's a never-ending cycle that's exhausting, and it goes on and on and on. But there's a better way. Instead of fixing your eyes on comfort, instead of fixing your eyes on the things that you think are going to bring you the life that you need, fix your eyes on the good shepherd and you shall not want. And you'll have everything that you need. See, the aim of our life can't be to have comfort. The aim of our life has to be to walk with the good shepherd whether it's through the green pastures or through the valley of the shadow of death. This is the problem with thinking God only wants you to be comfortable because when you come to the foot of the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to back away. You're going to find another path. You're going to try to get back to the green pastures. But when you follow Jesus, it doesn't matter where you find yourself in life. He will give you all that you need. See, the comfort of this world is deceitful, man. It's a carrot on a stick. It'll never be enough. There won't be enough money or a big enough house or enough success or enough rest or enough work. Nothing in this world will bring us the comfort we truly long for. And if you believe that comfort comes from anything on this earth, it's going to weigh you down. It's going to keep you from what matters the most. See, that's why Jesus asked the rich young ruler to give away his wealth. He wasn't trying to one-up him. He wasn't like, oh, yeah, you followed all the commandments. How about this? He wasn't trying to take him down a peg. He wasn't saying, oh, how you like that? No, it says that he looked at him. And he loved him. He was trying to help him shed the weight and the sin that clings so close, like Hebrew said. He knew that in his heart, his wealth was in the way of his truly following God. And so it was less about the wealth, but it was, le- it was more about the place it took in his heart. So as we start to close and and the band comes back up, let's go back to the thought exercise that we did at the beginning. You remember the thing that you kept front of mind? If you were face to face with Jesus and he asked you to give up that thing, the thing that you look to for comfort, the thing that you're looking to to solve your problems, the thing that you look to for pleasure, Would you do it? Maybe a better question, could you do it? 
Would you shed the weight and sin that clings so closely? Or would you be like the rich young ruler? Walk away from the giver of life, disheartened and sad with a handful of nothing. Now, if you can't answer yes with beyond a shadow of a doubt, that's okay. But consider this, maybe you've made an idol out of your comfort. Maybe your God isn't actually Jesus. Maybe it's not the good shepherd. Maybe it's the comfort that you've experienced. Jesus is calling us to a better way of life today. Have you considered that the good shepherd knows everything that you need? And if he's not giving it to you, or if he's asking you to give it up, it's because it's not actually a thing that's good for you at this moment. It's because it's not actually a thing that you need, but a thing that's holding you back from what's really important, from what truly matters. No money, no substance, no job, no person, nothing here on earth, nothing in this entire universe can compare to the security, the sweetness, the comfort of knowing Jesus. In Jesus, we have life and joy and unlimited comfort that transcends our circumstances. And one day, we'll have the eternal comfort that we long for. That's what he promises. Revelation 21.4 says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Beloved, Jesus has everything that you need for this life and the next. And so what is it? What's the comfort? What comfort might Jesus be asking you to put aside for the sake of following him? I'll tell you what it is for me. It's that house. Because the reality of my situation is I can't buy a house in New York City anytime soon. But the other side of that is that God called me to plant a church in Staten Island. And I can't plant a church in Staten Island while living in another state. Believe me, I've tried. I've done all the math. I've mapped out the roads. It's not possible. This is something that I have to constantly lay before Jesus. And it's not easy. I'm not not sharing this with you to show how, how, how close to God I am. It's not easy. It hurts often. It's frustrating often. But beloved, it's worth it. What it means is that in my three-bedroom apartment with the line waiting for the bathroom, it means I have everything that I need. So what's it for you? Maybe it's a snooze button in place of a morning devotion. Maybe it's the size of your house or apartment. Maybe it's money out of your savings account for the sake of generosity. Maybe it's your me time, your Netflix binge, you're scrolling through the memes. Beloved, whatever it is, Jesus is more. Whatever it is, Jesus has everything that you need. 
we all have a choice every day to choose whether we follow Jesus or we walk away from him like the rich young ruler. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are the good shepherd. We shall not want. We have everything we need when we're with you. But how often the cares of this world, the comfort we long for, choke away your word in our hearts. Help us, Lord. Help us to follow you. Help us to stay close to the good shepherd, whether in the green pastures or the valley of the shadow of death. Your rod and your staff, they comfort us. Amen.